0: I like that Jan said that and this is like super not even in the, you know, this is super just my personal little rant. The name of Jesus is so powerful and is so amazing and the world knows it is. Um, and there's a real reluctance I, I find in my observations of the world, such as they are, that um, people don't say Jesus very often. and even. Christian communities don't. We say, oh, the Lord, or God, or whatever it is. But Jesus is not spoken. And we need to be proud, and we need to be loud and say, I am not a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And be bold in that. I just encourage you that. Just, that's just my little rant, 1.0, <laughs> this morning. But no, Jesus, we are Jesus followers. We are lovers of Jesus Christ. And we need to be proud and proclaim that often and be good representatives of his name. So with that, let's move into Romans chapter, end of chapter 14. This, you guys, I feel like, I told Janet last night, listen, if you want to know anything about chapter 14, the end of chapter 14, just go back and listen to all the other ladies. I don't know that there's anything whole lot new that I could add to it. Um, this Last few verses just wraps up everything that he said before, uh, but and I thought, oh, it's going to be super short. It's like, listen to everybody else, go back over your study now, go back to your group. I, <laughs> um, no, but I ended up with a lot, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, so in Romans, Romans is a great theological, weighty, meaty book, and we've had to wrestle with the ideas in Romans of of sin. Uh, our being immersed in sin and not being able to get out we need salvation we've talked about who gets saved and who gets to make that decision on who's saved um, and now at the end of the book we're learning about how do we walk in that salvation in the last uh, couple of char- uh, chapters you know, started with really broad theological thoughts of these things and now it's narrowed down narrowed down narrowed down and to the, pers- to the personal, like who are we as we walk um, as Jesus' followers? How do we walk in the world as believers? And even more, how do we relate to each other as believers? So, We've talked about transforming our minds and not being conformed to the world um, so that we would be more like Jesus, that we're leaving worldly thinking and living behind and doing something new and different. Um, we need to recognize and embrace our spiritual gifts because we all have them. So for the purpose of glorifying God and again, being good represent- representatives of his name, <clears throat> because we have a job to show the world who he is. So, um, Angela taught in chapter 13. I'm going to go back. I, we want to keep always continuity of Scripture. So I noticed as I listened to everybody talk, we all went back and said, so, so-and-so so said this, so-and-so said this. But it, it, we do that not to be redundant or obnoxious, but um, just to keep continuity of thought in Scripture. So Jan- Angela taught in chapter 13. It was a very thought-provoking, convicting idea of how we relate to governing authorities. Now, in another day and age, maybe it wouldn't be so controversial, but we live now <laughs> in, you know, in um, COVID-19 days, <clears throat> and, and we have to wrestle with the idea of how do we relate to governing authorities? What is our responsibilities? Um, do we be- obey all the things that the government says? Or is there a line drawn in the sand? And if there's a line drawn in the sand for us, what is that line? You know, and what does it mean if we wanna cross it? You know, is there a limit to governmental obedience? What is that limit? Um, And she challenged us to know, you know, we better know, we better know what, what we're willing to do and why we are going to do whatever X action. And also that it's not the same for everybody Janet was clear in chapter 13 um, that we must wake up. You know, we, we've been sleeping too long. Life has been easy. We've been really relaxed in our recliners and uh, our re- reclining Christianity. Um, but it's time to wake up. We are children of the light, and there's no time for sleeping now. <clears throat> um, we must put on holiness because it honors the Lord. And that we owe each other. There's an owing to each other of love. And in chapter 14, back to Angela, again. Um, that we, don't get to, we also don't get to sit in judgment of others' convictions. And that opinions are not worth breaking fellowship over. Personally, very challenging to me. Um, and that I liked, I liked how you said that... Um, we remain and even invite people to be in relationship with us despite differences. And um, that it's not bad for us <laughs> to have relationships with people that we have differing, differing opinions on. Um, Janet said that divisions in the church are more dangerous than the differences of opinion that we have. And we're to let love lead us through criticism. And because, because we live to honor the Lord. And the love that we have for each other is our testimony. And it's our testimony to the world. Jackie said, I'm not going to answer to the Lord for you and you won't answer to me. And you won't answer for me, I should say. So saying that, when we stand before the Lord, that we we stand individually, that I'm not responsible for Jackie's actions and she's not responsible for mine. But we are responsible when we see each other going the wrong way and we're responsible for protecting each other from the world. And then she said, if you use your liberty improperly, then your love has become past tense. I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of, <laughs> I don't want my love to be back past tense. I don't want to say, oh, I loved them. I, I used to love them. And then Fantastic Four said, we are family, and family takes care of each other. <laughs> All right, so I watched Fantastic Four this week, you know. But that's what they said, and I just said, you know, that's it. Yes, we're family. We are family, ladies. We're family together, and we take care of each other. So our, this week's verses started at 18, but we have to go back to verse 16 so we can stay in what? It's the context. Again, context is everything. So, Romans chapter 14, verse 16 says, Therefore, do not let what is a good thing be spoken of as evil. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, it's but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So it's so easy in our life to get caught up in the do's and don'ts of life, and we forget the main point. The main point is that we're going to be wanting to be acceptable before the Lord, and we're serving him by loving each other. Paul is using the idea of food and drink as being a stumbling point or a stumbling stone for so many Roman Christians, and we also see this theme in the first book of Corinthians. The concern about food, and specifically meat, is very real in that in that time because of idol worship. But in this time, that's not. We're not concerned. We're not concerned about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. It's just not a thing here at this time. But I want to remind you or say that this is just a general principle that we've been talking about all this time. It's like there's a lot of food and drink. This isn't about food and drink. This is a heart matter, always a heart matter. So... Angela, Janet, and Jackie all gave lists of things that we can stumble over, our own food and drink, so to speak. I don't really want to necessarily add to the list, but I will remind you of some of the things that were on the lists. There was everything from Harry Potter to dancing, smoking and drinking. You know, I did say hymns or contemporary music. There was King James or not King James. Like we we have a lot of things that we can argue about. We have a lot of opinions about things. So I'm going to tell you about one of my personal convictions. I have a very personal conviction about reading romance novels. This is not a secret. I've talked about this before. But if you don't know me, you don't know. It's bad. I don't do it anymore, but I used to love smutty romance novels. And it stumbles me really badly. I'm just like, and the Lord in a period of time spoke to me about that and convicted me. This is bad for me. It's bad for me to be. I don't think it's great for everybody anyway, but I wouldn't put my conviction on you and say, I'm not gonna sit and say, you're in sin if you read that. This is my conviction. I think that there's arguments to say, nobody should read them, but I'm not gonna say you're in sin if the Lord hasn't spoken to you about it. but these convictions all of these things that we um, our opinions or the things that we hold strongly about all of these things belong on the earth these are temporal temporary things there I want to say they can be very worldly things often but life lived for Jesus is not about temporal things that's not what we're meant for we are meant for righteousness, peace, joy, in the Holy Spirit. This is, again, a heart condition. We all have individual relationships with the Lord. What he tells you is not necessarily what he tells me, and vice versa. And there should be grace for that. And ab- above all things, we ought to be guided by love for one another our lives need to be, must be, if we're walking with Jesus, characterized by thinking of other people first. Wouldn't it be a terrible, cruel thing <laughs> for someone to invite me to a book club who wanted to read the latest Harlequin romance? That would be, like, that's a huge stumbling stone for me, that it would be cruel and not be led by love to invite me to something like that. But in the same way, we need to go out of our way to not stumble other people john thirteen thirty four, thirty five 35 says a new commandment i give you that you love one another even as i have loved you and that you also love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and romans twelve ten, in the new living translation says don't just pretend to love others really really love them hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. When we serve Jesus in this way, keeping in mind eternal things, then our service is pleasing to him. It's acceptable. Our service is loving others even when it's hard or when we don't understand them or when we disagree with their convictions. Warren Wearsby on... In his book on being a servant said, Serving God isn't punishment. This is not drudgery for us at all. It, it's nourishment. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that ought to be our food too. That, that We're never happier people than we serve Jesus in, in the way he's made us to serve him. Like he's in our giftings and in, in our love. It, it, there's nothing more satisfying in the world than that. So let's move on in our verses. Verses 20 to 23 says, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith with which you have have is your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. I felt like there's two sides to this particular coin in that the first is we don't stumble a weaker brother and we don't put their relationship with the Lord at jeopardy. And the other part of it is we live by our own convictions that the Lord has ministered to us. And let me be clear that the Lord has ministered to us. And we don't—we're not to be double-minded in that. You know, we have to take very seriously our obligation to love and protect our brother and sister. <clears throat> First Corinthians eight nine through thirteen again in the New Living Translation says, "But if you—but uh, you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge." in quotes eating in the temple of an idol won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that's been offered to an idol so because of your superior knowledge a weak believer for whom christ died will be destroyed and when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong you are sinning against christ so if i eat what causes another believer to sin I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I am a prisoner of the Lord, and I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." We're to love each other more than we love ourselves. Now listen, ladies, if you walked with the Lord for any length of time, none of this is new thinking. This is not like groundbreaking information here. We we have talked and we talk a lot about what it means to love each other and to strive to not stumble each other. This is this has been a conversation for at least the last month, but if you serve the Lord for any length of time, this is, this is old hat. But I kind of want to throw in a different idea about it. Maybe look at it a diff- little bit differently. So, I want to talk about the difference between godly conviction and legalism. Because I think that this is where this, this is the bottom line of what is being talked about here. What is godly conviction and what is just plain, flat legalism? We have the legalism of the world. We have Christian legalism. We have legalism in the church, but we have personal legalism as well, where we have decided that this is the rule, and I must not break it. And if I must not break it, then Holly must not break it. Right? just like we just put rules out. just put rules out it's not great. (laughs) It's not great. In my parenting, I am very, very concerned. I I try when I'm parenting, I'm trying to play to the end game. Like, who are these people going to be when they grow up? I need them to be nice to me. So I try to be nice to them. But that's not what I mean. But, But I'm playing the long game in my parenting. And I'm never... I'm never after good-behaved children. I mean, I want good-behaved children. I, I, I want them. I want them to be respectful. I want them to love each other. I, you know, I, there are things you know that I want that all parents want for their children. But more important to me is, I want their heart. I want. I want them to not just be well-behaved in polite society and be decent humans. That's not That's not my end game with them. My end game with them is I want their heart, because I want their heart submitted to the Lord, because I need them to be in heaven with me. And it's like, that's, like, that's my bottom line with my children. But I think God has the same bottom line. I need my children to be in heaven with me. I need these people that I've created to be in heaven with me. And, and he's after the long game. He's not... He's not, I just want well-behaved, decent people in society. I want the hearts of people. There is no place for legalism in that because all you're after is good behavior. (laughs) We live in a very, okay, I was going to say pharisaical, but I looked it up and that's not really a word. We live in a very pharisaical culture. If you remember, the Pharisees are very much about follow the rules. And if you can't follow the rules just right, I'm going to put more rules on so you understand exactly how much the rules you should follow. Right? It's full of rules that are not laws. They're just rules for good behavior. And our culture is full of that. And it's madness right now. And all of it, all of this rule following, it seems to me, is just to give the impression that the individual who follows said rules is somehow a better human than Joe Schmo next door. It's a comparison game, I think. And what's happening in the culture now, it seems like it's a religion all unto itself at this point. It's it's ever changing. The rules change all the time. You don't even really know what the rules are. And they're getting broader, and they're getting more narrow, and it's illogical. And if you don't follow these rules, then you are not holy or righteous by the standards that they have set up, that they've set up, whoever they are. I don't really know. (laughs) I don't know who they are. But but they're nuts. There's no grace or compassion for other people. There's no understanding of how other people might live or how they might feel about things. And it's dangerous. I mean, we've seen this. This is dangerous for our mental, emotional, and most importantly, it's dangerous for our spiritual well-being. So I'm saying that legalism isn't only for the church. It is a human condition. Why are humans, why do humans, why do you and I like to be legalistic? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, I could be talked out of it, but I'm pretty sure it's largely driven by f- pride. I think it's pride. In worldly thinking, there's a certain vanity to it. There's um, a virtual, a virtue, a virtue signaling. I think that goes along with it. <clears throat> like, I'm super good. I say all the right things. I never offend anybody. I'm pretty sure I do but I just you know, I follow Jesus I offend plenty of people but it's a pride thing it's like I'm a better human than you because I recycle right like, if you follow all the rules of your society and culture then then you're considered a good person and you've achieved the righteousness on your own merits and as, as the world is defining righteousness and again, it's madness. It's madness because the definition of righteousness changes, it seems like, every day. And it's very often illogical. It makes, me, it makes my head want to explode because the illogicalness of it all. I think that's also not a word. In the church... <laughs> But in the church, legalism is equally, maybe more dangerous to us because now it has the spiritual ramification and it hinders us in our relationship with the Lord and it hinders us in our relationship with each other. In the church, legalism is very, very ugly. It keeps us, it keeps us I think, from having to seek out the Lord for ourselves and what our own convictions ought to be. And it makes it so we don't have to work at maintaining our relationship with him. And it doesn't make us have to maintain a relationship with each other either. We're just all about, did you do this? You didn't do that? It's somehow in our minds, I, you know, to me I think about this and I think, the gospel message is so simple and so easy, it doesn't feel like it should be. Feels like somehow I need to earn it. Somehow I gotta do something to pull myself up by the bootstraps kind of situation. I've earned my salvation, but or 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 make my own self holy. But that's not what the gospel message is. (laughs) Jesus is after our heart. That's it. That's all. Will you be submitted to the Lord? Will you love him? with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will you love each other the same? Easy, no, simple, not easy. Now for some who fall into legalism, maybe, maybe there's a genuine desire to please God. I'm, I'm certain, it probably starts out that way. Like it's I've gotta please the Lord, so I'm not gonna, X, Y, or Z. Angela, read Harry Potter. Oh, I may have recommended it. Sorry. <laughs> it made me laugh. I had to. I giggled about that the other day. <laughs> So, <clears throat> there may be a genuine desire to please God when we, when we fall into legalism. I feel like it is like any other kind of sin because it is a sin. We fall into it. It's like, oh, I want to please the Lord, but then we're trapped in these rules that we made. <clears throat> Maybe Maybe it happens because we don't know scripture or we misunderstand scripture, and it leads to misguided emphasis on a certain set of guidelines. I, I, found, I found this online, um, and it's called How to, Be, How to Become a Legalist by Vadi Bachman, Bacham. One, make rules outside of the Bible. Two, push yourself to try and keep your rule. Three, castigate yourself when you don't keep your rules. Four, become proud when you do keep your rules. Five, appoint yourself judged over all the other people. Six, get angry with people who break your rules or have different rules. I think that's legalism. I had a conversation with my daughter Colleen and we were on FaceTime and so and her husband Carlos was sitting right next to her. So it was like three we conversation between the three of us. But <laughs> Colleen was telling me that she had heard of a group of people, I don't remember how we got to the subject, but um, who abstain from well let's say marital relations after they're married after they're married, like they're married and then they abstain for the sake of righteousness. And I'm not talking about like for a period of time. But I think those people, that's crazy. I might be judging that. I might be legalistic that way. I don't know. But but it was an interesting conversation because because it made me it made me start thinking about, well, they've put themselves under rules that God never intended for them to have. It's like what's the point then? What's I mean, you can have a friend with anybody. Why, Why be married and then? But I, I just, I, I really, I mean, just, we talked this out and we were thinking, well, is it sin for them to have put themselves under those rules? Or is it just a conviction of the Holy Spirit? But I think in, these la- in the last verse, In 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. But if if this is true, if there really are people who do this, I don't know. Um, Is it sin for them to have even put themselves under something that God never intended? I think so. And then what happens if they fail? They're in sin again. It is like... But I think that this is what legalism does. We, we put ourselves in bondage to something that God never intended for us to be in bondage over. And if we can't keep it, then we're in sin again because it goes against our conscience. It's like this is a zero win situation here. What God never intended to be sin now is sin. And then when we fail, it's sin. But he who doubts is condemned. If he eats because his eating is not from faith, and whatever, whatever is not from faith is sin, I paraphrased it to say there's happiness in li- liberty. But if you doubt your liberty and act on it anyway, then it's sin for you because you violated your own conscience. This chapter has been about knowing what God has asked of you. And you walk in it confidently because you have a relationship with the Lord it's so it's so important that we maintain our relationship with the Lord that that we're an intimate relationship we just don't touch the outsides of who he is but that we're an intimate relationship vibrant alive relationship with the Lord because how else can we know what he's convicted us about in our, in our lives? <clears throat> we need to be in vibrant, alive relationship with the Lord, or with each other, I'm sorry, so that we can know what the Lord has convicted us about. Because how, how can we know if we stumble each other if we don't even know each other? We also have to be mindful, keep in mind always, that God doesn't bring the same conviction to everyone at the same time. We also need to remember that if we have doubts about what good what is good and what the Lord has asked of us, that we should not be making up rules as, and said that the Lord told me. You know, right? you know what I'm saying? Like you can't be wishy-washy in it. It's like you can't make up a rule and say, Oh, yeah, God. It's like back it up with scripture. <clears throat> Instead, we need to recognize that there, there might be something that we need to wrestle with so that we act in faith. It's folly for us to take a general principle from Scripture and make up rules to follow that um, and have that be what dictates your holiness. We need to care about what each other cares, what we all care about. Like I should care about what you guys care about. You should care about what I care about. And whether and and not whether or not I carry the same conviction as you. We're going to be loving each other, having grace for each other, being compassionate to one another, to bear up each other in our weaknesses, shore up our strengths. We must be willing to put aside liberty for the love of a brother or sister because God calls it righteous. We, you guys, we are a liberty-loving people. We've lived under liberty for a long time, as the world defines liberty, as the United States has defined liberty. But we have even more liberty in Christ, and in that liberty, we should be able to put it aside because that is a different kind of liberty that pleases the Lord. And as we do, we are in service to the Lord, and that service is approved by God when we love each other in that way. Matthew Henry said, I'm going to end with this. Matthew Henry said, This is our service to him who has called us to a higher calling. How preferable is the service of God to all other services. And in serving him, we are not called to live and die to ourselves, but unto Christ, whose we are and whom we ought to serve. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would, Lord, that you would make your, your way known and clear to us. Uh, even more, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds and our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see what you've called us to exactly, outside of, outside of the, um, the mandate to love one another, the, the command to love each other, and to love you. But if there are other things, Lord, that it just has to be between you and me. <clears throat> Lord, it just, I just thank you that you love us so well. Lord, that you're not a mystery, really, that has to be solved. Well, I guess in some things you are, but in most things you're not. You make your way known to us. Lord, thank you that you've given us clear direction for how you want us to act and um, be with each other. That, that you've called us. You've called us to love, that you've called us to put aside our own um, ideas and desires and just to take into account other people. Lord, help us to do that well. Let us be good representatives of your name. Lord, let us live as if you indeed are God and that, um, and that you have given us freedom in you. Lord, as we go to our groups, Lord, and, and wrestle through these things and um, very personal and with each other, I just ask that you would be in each group. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, that it can just be in all the places at the same time. Let our conversation, that our conversation, glorify you and lift your name high. In Jesus' name, Amen.